Alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Shaykh Adnan, assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaykum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Shaykh Adnan, I have met you here in the UK and I was surprised. Well, not very surprised because you do look like him. You are the nephew of the renowned Mufti Menk. Am I right? Correct. MashaAllah. And Shaykh Adnan, I've sat with you a few times here and I've become very interested in your background, your academic knowledge, your Sharia knowledge, MashaAllah. And you told me that you are a graduate of the Medina University. In Sharia, Alhamdulillah. So you've studied all the disciplines of Sharia, the fiqh, usul al-fiqh, the foundations, the fundamentals of all of that, mashallah. And you also pursued a master's degree. And you wrote a paper about a very interesting topic that we don't hear about much in the Muslim community. In fact, there's somewhat of a negative perception about it. And that is Islamic, that is economics from an Islamic perspective. And you wrote specifically about cryptocurrency in light of the Islamic perspective and the Sharia. Uh, you graduated from a master's degree from Medina University That's as well, correct. did you? Correct. In 2021? 2021. MashaAllah. Let's begin, Ya Sheikh Adnan, asking about your background, your childhood, your schooling, growing up. Tell us where you're from. Go ahead. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. So, interestingly enough, I'm actually born here in England. Oh. But yeah. But okay. I never ever lived in England. We always lived in Zimbabwe. We used yeah. to come along for visits yeah. because of family. So, alhamdulillah, my schooling from a young age, uh, my grandfather, that's Mufti Meng's father, he always had emphasis on Islamic knowledge. Mm. So, from a young age, we learned how to read uh, Arabic text. We learned how to read the Quran. And he started me off on hifth at the age of nine. So Alhamdulillah, I started off with him along with uh, academic schooling. So we used to go to the school in the morning and then uh, madrasa in the afternoon. Alhamdulillah, I completed hifth uh, by the age of 12. And at that point, my grandfather, he, uh, you know, after the actual hifth, he said, right, you guys have to move on to Arabic and you have to move on to tafsir. So Alhamdulillah, he started teaching us a lot in terms of uh, tafsir, also fiqh. So by the time I reached the age of 17, Alhamdulillah, I graduated in terms of, you know, the GCSEs, you finished them off. He had already taught us a lot of what you would learn in your first and second year in Medina University. Mashallah. So Alhamdulillah, and then at the age of 17, I went to Medina University and uh, I went to Arabic language program. Learned there for one and a half years. Then I went into Saudi high school because, uh, as you remember, I said I completed GCSE, so I still had the A-level to do. But I did that in the Saudi high school. So yeah, it was interesting. And then that's how my journey started in Medina University. MashaAllah. You mentioned your grandfather a few times. Uh, you were sharing with us some inspiring stories about him. Uh, can you share something inspiring about him that you shared with us? Allah, Allah he's close on to 90 years old, MashaAllah. Till today, he, till today he reads his Quran every day. Two Jews, three Jews, one day, I think a few weeks ago, he was telling me, you know, I wasn't feeling well. And uh, I didn't manage to read my Quran. Then he tells me, today I was feeling much better. So I sat from the morning and I read seven juice. Allahu and he Akbar. says, when, when we were younger, you know, we used to read Quran. And my sheikh told me after I finished, don't forget your Quran. Make sure you revise it. There was a point in my life I used to read one Quran a day. 
And if we were tired, half a Quran a day. And this went on for three to six months. And uh, mashallah, a lot more stories. He's got, he's very disciplined. Waking up time, going to bed, his food. Till today he tells me, he says, you know, when it comes to food, I monitor my sugar, my weight, everything. And if I need to make some sort of adjustment, I do that. Mashallah, a very disciplined person, very inspirational. And obviously, if you had to ask my uncle, Mufti Menk, who, uh, you know, who's inspired you the most, who did you benefit from the most? He'd say, obviously, his father. He put a lot of effort into his children as well as his grandchildren. SubhanAllah. You know, young, uh, I'm a teacher myself, so a lot of young people <clears throat> say to me that we feel whole and that we belong in this world when our grandparents are alive and we see them. It's interesting how grandchildren love us and, and aspire to their grandparents a lot, subhanAllah. And you had, it seems like your grandfather was a role model in your life and the life of your uncle, Mufti Mank, and also your father, isn't it? Yes, that's correct. Are all your uncles in the field of Sharia or is it just yourself and so there's uh, half of them are your father the, for example yeah half of them are in the islamic field and then the other half are in the business field so my father for example he's not an alim electrician by trade and uh, alhamdulillah now he has a family business and uh, you know we sell electrical and that type of thing so yeah i heard mufti Menk once say in a podcast that um, your family is a mix of those who study Sharia and give da'wah and others who do the business and help them and support them financially. Is that true? That's correct. In or fact, can, you, can you elaborate on that? Of course, it's true. I'm not saying uh, that, that, said anything wrong. That's correct. And, uh, you know, the policy my grandfather always had, as well as my uncles, in your da'wah, you do your da'wah with your own money. That's where you have that uh, izza. You're able to go out and really benefit others. You know, some people are only in it for money using the da'wah. No, they said have your independent means and when you do the da'wah with your money, inshallah, there's a lot more acceptance, bithinillah. And I think, uh, you know, you see that with everybody who, who has done that. Instead of, uh, you know, people going out and say, you know what, give us, give us, give us. Uh, somebody saying, you know what, this is my da'wah, I'm doing it, I'm independent, Allah has given us. And you find people respect you a lot more because they know you're not after what's in their pockets. And as Allah says that People, are, they love money. So the minute you've got a knowledgeable person, however, somebody perceives him as wanting something from his pocket, they stay away. Mm. They stay away. But they know that, you know what, you don't want any of the material. And you only got qala Allah qala Rasul, inshallah, they take. That's the nature of humans, isn't it? And we've got to respect that. In fact, it's the nature of humans and all the anbiya who came before. They tell their people, don't worry, this message we've come with, I'm, I'm not asking you for anything. Just take the message. Mm. That, I think very it's an interesting. important point for students of knowledge to bear in mind. MashaAllah, very interesting. That, that opens up another question now. So in your experience, do you see that uh, people of knowledge who study Sharia, Islamic studies, or they go into Dawah, in your experience, is it does it make them more stronger and beneficial when they do have their own separate income from other avenues? Do you uh, advise them to, for example, open up their own business or study something else which takes care of the finances so that they, they don't get their money from the, from the Dawah scene? Obviously, everybody's unique in their own different ways. Everybody mm. comes from different backgrounds, different situations. Uh, but, you know, the more independent you are, the more you're able to benefit. Mm. Also when it comes to uh, an alim, 
doing some sort of business, it's not wrong. In fact, if you look at the Sahaba radiallahu anhu, most of them were business people. And you know, I always think about Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu anhu on three different occasions. In fact, he was promised Jannah on many different occasions. Three of them from what I've counted were to do with the fact that he had a good heart and wealth. Now, just imagine if the Messenger was amongst us all and he said, whoever does this action, he'll get Jannah. Everyone will want to do it, but not everybody can do it. So when he asked who will buy the well, or who will expand the masjid, or who will prepare uh, the army for the campaign, surely everybody wants to do it because uh, they want Jannah. But not everybody can do it because they didn't have wealth. Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu anhu, Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu anhu, Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says in one of the hadith that nobody's wealth has benefited us more than the wealth of Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu anhu and his reward is with Allah. We can't repay him back. But the point I'm getting at is, uh, you know, this, there shouldn't be a disconnect and people shouldn't frown down on an alim who wants to trade or who has business or is wealthy. The Sahaba did it, the ulama from before, a lot of them were wealthy. And obviously it's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives everybody. Some Allah gives, others Allah gives a little bit less and some Allah gives more. Sahih. Let's ask about your studies now. Yes, Sheikh Adnan, you did your paper on cryptocurrency. A lot of young people and even older people ask this question all the time. Where can I invest my money? What's halal for me? What's not har- What's haram for me? And so on. So your journey, what, what inspired you to write about Islamic economics and cryptocurrency? What did you do that? that, that? I'll, I'll tell you something interesting. When you go to Medina University, obviously, I mentioned I started in the Arabic language. Yeah. And then I went to Saudi high school. And then I went to Kulit al-Sharia. Ah. Up to the first year, you're still learning about ibadat, acts of worship. So you're learning about your tahara, salah, hajj, fasting, zakah, etc. Then the second half, you start learning about mu'amalat, buying and selling more specifically. And alhamdulillah, we had two young teachers who taught us the importance of money, uh, money matters in Islam. And, you know, this was an eye-opener for me. Because we've always attributed fiqh to be tahara and salah and then full stop. Mm. So I'm saying these, these uh, two teachers are talking about something uh, that I've never known existed. They tell you, if you open uh, the books of hadith, you find some of the longest chapters. Like Kitab al-Buyur, Imam al-Bukhari rahimahullah, has written so much on, on Buyur. The longest verse in the Quran is speaking about uh, protecting uh, the wealth of one another, writing down uh, Dain or mm. debt. So this was like a, a light bulb that <laughs> lit in my head. And alhamdulillah, I started perceiving it, or I started pursuing it, sorry, further. And uh, you, then you learn the importance of, you know, how the economy works from an Islamic perspective. Obviously, before there was uh, Islamic empire, time of the Messenger, mm. Sahaba, radiallahu anhum, there were people who they had to look after. There was infrastructure that was needed. They needed to expand. How did they do it? They didn't just sit in the masjid only and wait for things to fall down, as Umar anhu and reprimanding one of the people. He said, you can't just sit in the masjid the whole day because the sky doesn't rain gold and silver. You've mm. got to go out and do something. So this opened my eyes to a new part of the world that I didn't know existed. Sheikh Adnan. If you were to go back in time to your younger self, now I know that, mashallah, you are already very young 
How old are you? Uh, 30 years old. 30 years old. You're married? Alhamdulillah, married. <laughs> and how long have you been married, mashallah? Uh, about seven years. Seven years. Who's your wife? Uh, Mufti Meng's daughter. <laughs> so Mufti Meng's wife <laughs> is my uncle and is my father-in-law at the same time. Wow, mashallah. <laughs> so she's your first cousin? Correct. Tabarakallah. You love her? And she loves you. Alhamdulillah, <laughs> yes. And that's what, that's what we love to hear about, mashallah. I just wanted to ask that as a side uh, question because we have in many of our culture, especially in the Western culture, that somehow you shouldn't marry your cousin. You're not allowed to marry your cousin. And I get a bit concerned about that because, I mean, you don't have to marry your cousin, but we also don't want people to think that, okay, your cousin means that she's like your sister or he's like your brother. You're not mahrams to each other, isn't that correct? That's because you're allowed to marry each other. That's 100% correct. I think a lot of the times people have, uh, you know, the wrong perspective of who is family and who is not family. And as you mentioned, then sometimes people sit together and, you know, they carry on not realizing that, you know what, uh, is my mahram not my mahram? And I'm actually allowed to marry my cousin. And what Allah made uh, halal, nobody can say it's haram. Mm. So sometimes you find youngsters, uh, they want to get married in the family, but it's, uh, you know, the, the pe people around, they frown on it. And it's wrong. The Messenger وسلم, his daughter, uh, Fatima radiallahu anha, was married to a uh, first cousin. Very good point. Talib, Very good point. Ali radiallahu anhu married Fatima, one of the first cousins. That's correct. Yeah. The reason I ask that question as well is since you're in the business field and you, mashallah, you come from a, a family who knows about business and internet, and yet, yeah. mashallah, we find you knowledgeable in the deen, practicing families, yet the money didn't take you away from the fear of Allah. You earned your wealth in halal and you spend it in halal, yet, mashallah, Allah has blessed you with wealth as well. Because some people, they think if you become religious, uh, it means wealth is out the window. You can't enjoy life. But yet you're still enjoying life, alhamdulillah. So being in that field and you marrying uh, uh, your wife, your, your cousin, uh, is she, does she also have that same mindset as you about wealth and business? Does she run her own thing, for example? Is, uh, how, how do you two deal with wealth and talk about that so aspect. I'll, I'll tell you what's interesting. When we got married, alhamdulillah, I was still a student in the university, obviously learning. And she started learning also an Arabic language institute for women there in uh, Medina. Sure. And she learned through a uh, Sharia course uh, that was in Medina. At the same time, I was really inspired by, uh, you know, knowledge with pertaining to skills, learning new skills, uh, how to speak, how to interact with others etc. And she also got onto this uh, train, so to put it. And Alhamdulillah, she's as driven as me. And uh, she's, she buys and sells. She always tells me, you're the one who wants to give everything away for free. And I'm the one who makes the profit. Wow, Mashallah, <laughs> she's, she's got more of a business mind. <laughs> she's, she's competitive, Alhamdulillah. And uh, yeah. every time we, we speak and, you know, we, sometimes we don't agree on certain things. And we always end up saying, you know what, we both manks, we have hard heads. <laughs> MashaAllah. <laughs> yeah, but I benefit a lot from her. And she's really driven, alhamdulillah. And she's been my pillar of support, as well as my, my whole family. I mean, my parents, uh, my uncles, my aunts, uh, my relatives. Alhamdulillah, we have a good unit. Tabarakallah. In the Muslim community, we often don't know how to involve our women or where they stand when it comes to business and money. And we often think in our culture, my culture, Lebanese culture, money and business is a man's job. But here we have an inspiration. Your wife 
is heavily involved in business, Mashan. has got a good business mindset, and you said that she runs her own business. Oh, yeah. And you're and you love it, and you, you work together, inshallah. That's that's very inspirational. So how does she run her business, and, and how does she fit within the the Islamic boundaries of, of this whole thing to inspire our sisters? So interestingly enough, she's uh, very, uh, you know, she she wants to inspire the sisters. So she started, uh, you know, buying and selling a few things mainly for the sisters. Then she started with her teaching, and now, inshallah, she wants to open an academy and all that for the sisters. Yeah. So alhamdulillah, she's involved in that way. Uh, I don't get involved in what's hers in terms of her money or you know her decision. Sometimes she asks me, you know, what do you think of this, this, this. I give my opinion, and then you know whether she takes it or not. And Asha. similarly with me, uh, there's certain things I want to do. And, you know, I tell her, okay, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And uh, yeah, hear her opinion. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, alhamdulillah, we respect one another. In that. Oh, that's beautiful, Akhi. I mean, it's as simple as that, you know. Even if you don't take each other's opinions, you still hear each other out. That's, that's what brings the love between you and the closeness, isn't it? Yeah. MashaAllah. So much to learn from that. Um, one last question. Your wife, she runs a podcast, you said? Yeah, mashallah. She, she said that to she, me before. She, she interviews sisters, uh, inspirational sisters, especially in the da'wah field. And, you know, I was very strict in my opinions. And, uh, you know, after seeing how the world has, has gone, and we find that youngsters online, they look up to people who at times not the best of role models. And I thought, you know, tomorrow mm. you have a child who's going to be on social media who will lead them in the correct way. So after telling my wife not to be in that field, I thought about it and I said, you know what, it's better for somebody who studied, who knows, uh, who's learned a bit, who can inspire the youngsters, uh, you know what, go for it. And we trust one another, alhamdulillah, we have never had any issues in, in that regard. So I actually encouraged her to go through that and she knows her boundaries, I know my boundaries, alhamdulillah. So if sisters who were... Know, who listen to us, want to follow and learn from your wife, where can they go? Uh, inshallah, we put up the way uh, her page is. Right now she's into Quran and Arabic teaching for yeah. sisters specifically. Yeah. So inshallah, uh, maybe I can give you the handle and we can put it up. Inshallah, I'll be very happy with that. We want our sisters to, to find also inspirations for them and help much better than this, mashallah. I was starting off with a question before as well. Yeah. I said, if you were to go back to your very younger self, you're now 30 yeah. years old, mashallah. If you were to go back to your very, very younger self, what advice would you give yourself about life and money, whatever? You, what advice would you give? You know, my mother always told me, she said that any good skill you can learn in life, learn it, practice upon it. So I think if I could go back, any good skill I could pick up, I would take it. Another thing is to benefit from everybody. Everybody's got benefit in them. You know, sometimes when you live in your own uh, little world, you don't realize that there's a lot of goodness in the world. Also traveling, meeting new people, mm. interacting with new people. If I could do that from 10 years ago, I think I would have learned a lot more. Another thing is that, uh, you know, when you're young, you hear your elders giving you advice. You hear your elders telling you, do this, don't do this, you should do this. And sometimes you don't realize as a youngster that they're speaking from experience. They've lived life. You haven't yet lived life. So not to say I was a child who didn't listen, but uh, mm -hmm. you know, if I could hear a lot more people's experiences and just benefit from them. When you talk about people, Sheikh Adnan, do you mean just Muslims and 
or just sheikhs or Muslims and non-Muslims? What do you advise us? What's from your experience? Of how should we expand our knowledge? From my experience personally, uh, I think Muslims, non-Muslims, whoever's got something to benefit uh, you, take it from them. I mean, when it comes to infrastructure, when it comes to business, when it comes to so many things, I know it's, it sounds all good when you say, okay, only listen to a Muslim. Most of the things we use today are made by non-Muslims. So we either have to say, let us live in, in a cave, literally, mm. or we say that we learn from them, how did they do it, and we try and uh, you know, make a better version of it. And there's, there's a lot of things when it comes to that. I mean, I always speak about confidence. You know, storytelling when speaking is an art on its own. Till today, uh, I think most of the good storytellers are non-Muslims, but mm. you have to learn from them. Allah tells you in the Quran that uh, the importance of story. He says, نَحْنُ نَقُصُّ عَلَيْكَ أَحْسَنَ الْقَصَصِ We're telling you, Muhammad sallallahu story of Yusuf salam is the best story. What does it show you? It shows you, it shows you the power of story. And that means that we as uh, du'a talabat ilm, it's a skill we should learn. So in expanding your knowledge, Sheikh Adnan, uh, are there any mentors or role models who you uh, listen to? Well, uh, there's a lot of them. And uh, I think every single person, every individual is unique and they attracted to different people. Everybody has their style. So mm. instead of naming a few, I'd rather say that wherever you finding benefit from, mm. and uh, inshallah, you, everybody's grounded in the deen to a certain level. You're able to differentiate between right and wrong, what goes against your principles, uh, you benefit. Mm. Uh, you know, there's examples from the time of uh, Messiah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, as well as uh, in the Quran, Allah Jalla wa Ala, when speaking about uh, the people, even your enemies, he uh-huh. says that وَلَا يَجْرِمَنَّكُمْ شَنَآنُ قَوْمٍ عَلَىٰ أَلَّا تَعْدِلُوا He says, you know, your hatred for a group of people, he's telling people with the enemies. It shouldn't cause you to be uh, unjust. Rather, be just. So what about people who you can benefit from? People who you can learn from? The Messenger وسلم, at his time, uh, there were not Muslims who were also there. There were those who were not hostile. There were those who respected him. So people respect you and uh, you respect them, you give them that respect and where they have something of benefit, I personally believe you take that benefit and where you disagree, you disagree with them. Disagree with them, alhamdulillah. Now, I find it very interesting that you wrote about cryptocurrency. What was your paper about specifically when it came to cryptocurrency? So my paper was specifically about, not to get too technical, proof, proof of stake coins. So... What I realized is... Stake coins? Yeah, proof of stake. It's a, it's a concept. So okay. uh, if you look at the paper, you'll find that at the beginning, I had to go through you know, the origins of cryptocurrency, the whole idea, something called the Byzantine General's problem, mm-hmm. uh, how a blockchain works, etc. Because uh, what I realized is a lot of the seniors in the field, in terms of our professors, uh, they didn't speak good English. A lot of the content is in English. And, uh, you know, they need that, in Arabic they say, tasawwur of the masala, to understand and just see the masala from a bird's eye view. So I started with that, and then I went more specifically into the coins. Mm-hmm. So cut a long story short, obviously, as you know, in every fiqhi matter, there's a difference of opinion. And uh, there's people on this side of the equation, people on that side of the equation. But what inspired me more was 
You know, when Allah says in the Quran, Today I've completed your deen for you, O Muslims. Yeah. And we always go around teaching people that Islam is a complete religion. Islam is the true religion. And then when it comes to contemporary masail, unfortunately, we shy away from them. If Islam is really a contemporary, uh, if Islam is really a complete religion, there should be uh, a ruling and there should be some sort of guidance from Allah and His Messenger for every single thing you have in your life. And that should include cryptocurrency or tomorrow when you've got drop shipping or whatever it may be. So when I thought about that, I said that, uh, Alhamdulillah, I've been reading a lot about coins and uh, you know, going through the papers and the algorithms and that type of thing. I said, well, why not? Inshallah, you seem like a practical type of sheikh. And that's, sure. I, I like seeing that sheikhs who live with the times and understand what's going on in the community. Um, and bringing Islam to really how it should be. And that is in our life and answering the questions and new questions that we have, the new issues that we have. Sometimes we look at the past, such as the schools of thought and, and the, the masail and the issues that they took care of. But many of them were, or some of them were appropriate for their time and looking at this. But now we've got some new things that we need to deal with, like cryptocurrency. And the sheikhs have scratch their heads to figure out what's the best way around it. طيب, Sheikh Adnan, so I have people asking me about investments. How have you found investments? So to be honest, when it comes to investments, the best thing you can invest in is yourself, uh, your deen, uh, your Sorry. knowledge, your understanding, you know, being a better person. And obviously there's the financial investments and there's a lot uh, across the scope, across the board. More specifically, when it comes to crypto, as I mentioned, there's scholars who have different opinions. If you followed a scholar who believes uh, it's not correct or it's impermissible, mm. uh, that's his ijtihad. You followed him and you respect it for that. And if somebody follows a scholar who believes that it is permissible, and most countries have now made it legal. Yeah. Uh, so somebody believes uh, it's permissible, they follow uh, that scholar, it's okay. And uh, there's just three things I'd like to mention. Firstly, do your own research. Don't be that guy who's just heard about something on Twitter or Discord or Slack and this thing's going up and down because there you would be making a, a mistake and you'd be doing a disservice to yourself. Here You might fall under the category of those who are just throwing at money at things they don't know yeah. about. So do your own research. Number two, more specifically the coins. Uh, the last time I checked, there were more than 5,000 different coins. Now, every coin is trying to solve a different problem. Some are you know, what they call pump and dump, where people just put the price up and then they dump it. Mm. Uh, so you've got to see that, is this coin involved in that which is impermissible? Because there's those coins which are specifically to deal in drugs or to deal in things oh, which are impermissible, okay. sharan, huh, or right. which give you interest. they made for interest only. So you've got to see that the coin itself uh, is permissible. You've got to do your due diligence and uh, I think you go from there if you oh, also crypto every coin represents a line of products every or coin represents a different thing a different thought a different idea there's uh -huh. white papers for these coins obviously inside the whole crypto community there's those who only believe in Bitcoin yeah, okay. and then there's those who uh, believe in other coins without taking a, a stance before anybody gets upset but uh, I think you do your own due diligence and that's the same when it comes to investing. Let's say somebody wants to buy uh, a stock, for example. Uh, this, If we are following the opinion that uh, these stocks, there's nothing wrong in them. There's no haram involved. They're not involved in haram activity. You've still got to do your own research mm -hmm. and you've got to understand and realize that 
what's going up, everything that goes up will come down at a point in life. You know, sometimes people just try to run behind the trend and throw all their money behind it. And then everything crashes and they lose everything. But at the same point, we should be open-minded in the sense that something's new. Just because it's new, we shouldn't just shun it. And the third point, which I've now come to the realization, is uh, you make money in a few different ways. If you could categorize them into two, you'd say those investments that you put money in and then you wait. So obviously Allah is in charge, but you're at the mercy of the markets after Mm -hmm. that. The market goes up, you make money. If the market goes down, you lose money. So that's one type of uh, you know, investment. And a lot of people who invest in uh, stocks and crypto, they in that category. I, I would say I used to be in that category. Mm. Now I'm more in the second category where, Allah, you able to influence the outcome with your effort, and that's in business. So uh-huh. you go out and you do the work. You're not, you're not uh, uh, held hostage to the market, literally. Uh-huh. So you go out, you make effort. Uh, you buy goods, you sell goods, or you have a service that you've got to offer. So I'm more into that now. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So Sheikh Adnan, you gave us three advices, three points about it. Can you repeat them quickly in summary? Okay, number, so th- uh, number one is a person should invest in themselves. And number two is if you're going into any of these coins, etc., make sure that what you're dealing in is halal. Okay. And number three is only put money uh, that you're willing to lose or you're able to lose. Mm. A lot of people throw everything in and, uh, you know, sometimes or a lot of the times it turns out badly. Do you have like a formula that people can use in relation to their money? Obviously, we should avoid getting debts. We, we all understand that as much as you can. So when you said money that you can afford to lose... Do you have a formula for that, a percentage of your money or anything like that or anything that you... Personally not. I think everybody's unique, everybody's different, everybody's situation is different. And uh, sometimes, you know, I'll give you something, an interesting story. There was a time where I went to go into a venture, Mm. I put money in and then I lost uh, an amount. Then my dad tells me, he says, you know, don't worry about it. If you carry on thinking about that, you'll die depressed. He said, that was what you paid to go to school, i.e. in the real world. (laughs) Or in the, yeah. uh, you know, in the practical world, to put practical it correctly. World is in the practical world. He says, it's gone now. So you go again and you try again. So, yeah. Wow. So your father. So your father invested in you by allowing you to make mistakes. That's amazing. He, he actually encourages us. He says, you know, any good project you've got, you know, go out and do it. It encourages us to travel uh, for business and for obviously for the dean. He says, anytime an opportunity for the dean comes up, you must go. For business, uh, you know, for those who import from other countries, etc., it's a process. You've got to go. You've got to learn it if you're involved in the field. So, yeah, he encouraged well, yeah, us. Sheikh Adnan, uh, he encouraged you a lot. I'm just thinking how a lot of this, people moving forward and being productive, it, it starts with family as well. It starts with mentoring from father, and you mentioned your grandfather, and relationship with them and the parents willing to allow their children to make mistakes and to be gentle with them. I mean, this reminds me of one of my mentors, a, a doctor in, in, in Sharia and finance, in the past gave his son uh, $20,000. And he said, use them for the business, and he lost it all. And then the son was upset and said, Dad, I'm really sorry, I lost it all, and I didn't made a mistake. He says, that's fine, son, I was investing in your learning. So obviously he had much wealth, alhamdulillah, but that relationship... Then I hear about other fathers, for example, say, look at this person investing in this or investing in that. They're just wasting their money. They should go and, and work a nine-to-five job and, uh, 
keep their money and save it. Uh, and so the relationship started to break down between father and son. I see that, mashallah, in your family, that you have this good relationship and you're willing to make mistakes. Alhamdulillah, yeah. I, I think it's a balance also. I mean, every person is different. So for some people, the nine to five, that's what they like. You know, they don't want the stress of after work and looking at a computer and worrying about this and that. If, if that's what you, what you like, khair uh, barakah. Some people love studying. Some people love going through the academic system. If that's what you like and you want to do, khair barakah. There's those people who want to go out, you know, make mistakes and that type of thing, khair barakah. But as you said, if you've got that support structure around you, yeah. uh, it helps a lot. Yeah, that cohesion with the family network. It's not just about money, it's about your entire life, your self-esteem, isn't it? Having a strong family network and understanding. Alhamdulillah, mashallah. Shaykh Adnan, what advice can you give to young people who are aspiring to go into business and investment or entrepreneurship? Obviously, as we mentioned, point number one is ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's the one who gives. No. Point number two is surround yourself with the people who you, who've already achieved that result. So you've got business people, for example, in your community. Ask them, benefit from them. You've got business people online, etc. Benefit from their experiences. And point number three, which is the most important, is you've got to carry on doing so you've got to, uh, you know, some people analyze and they have what's called analysis paralysis. They read all the books, they know all the theories, but when it comes to doing the actual thing, uh, this in this case is business, they don't do it. Look at Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiallahu anhu. He, he comes from Makkah with nothing, yeah. zero. And uh, Sahabi radiallahu anhu is paid with, he says, I'll give you half of everything. Abdurrahman ibn Awf, what does he say? He says that, I don't need anything. Just show me where the marketplace is. Show me where the business mm. is carried out. He goes to the place where business is carried out. Obviously, he starts off a small businessman and then he grows, grows, grows. So my uh, advice would be start off, do something and be in that environment. And there's so many people you can benefit from. I mean, sometimes it's the uncles in the masjid, your own family. You know, you ask them, uh, what did you do? How did you start? And uh, as long as you're in that environment, that community, and you carry on working towards a goal, uh, inshallah, you, you'll get there. So number one, your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number two, get a network or connect with people already in the business and ask them. You'll get advice. And number three, we said, don't give up. Keep going. Learn. You're going to make errors. And that's yes. how you learn, inshallah. And, and you have to be willing to always improve. Ah. You know, sometimes people think that, okay, so I did this and they see a little bit of success and they say, okay, now I know uh, how to do it. Ah. And that's in any field. You've got to be willing to learn from those who are better than you, those who are on your level, your peers, and at times your, your students, those who are maybe younger than you. You know, sometimes... Uh, People start off, even in business, and you find the seniors in the business and a youngster comes along and he's doing it a different way and they all benefit from it. They all benefit. And this is also in uh, knowledge, etc. But uh, I would say do a lot more than you think or, uh, you know, talk about the doing and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will open your ways. And also not to panic. Everybody... Uh, Loses and they gain. Allah says, these are the days. You know, they, these days alternate between the people. Sometimes uh, a youngster who started a business, mm. 
he doesn't make any profit. Mm -hmm. He loses in the first venture, mm -hmm. second venture, third venture. Look, there's some very famous business people who've lost so many times, but you only lose when you stay on the ground, when you stay on the floor knocked out. You have to carry on lifting yourself up. And you don't know that uh, these ventures that you went into that you may perceive as a material loss. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is actually preparing you, teaching you a new skill because something further down the line is coming your way. Mm. So, it's so it's a bit of courage and bravery. 100%. Uh, yeah, I'm the type that uh, I can't take too many risks. So then I, I see that your advice is very simple. And I, I can see that you know, people who are successful... Uh, they had to fail a lot and they were brave and they didn't sit down talking, oh, I failed, I've got to keep going, keep going, trying again and again and again. In fact, if you, mm. if you substitute that word fail and to say, you know what, I learned. Learned. Uh, I learned. Instead I of learned. saying I failed, say I learned. Sahih. I've got, just got a couple of questions. Young people and older people, they ask me a lot of questions about investments. So the first question is, they're very confused. If their investment goes into an area where some haram is involved in there, but the majority of the work is halal. How can they maneuver through that? What advice can you give? Well, if we go back to a lot of the scholars who've written uh, on this topic, you find that they have varying opinions. Okay. And you've got those who are very strict and they took the path of wara to say even one drop of haram, we don't want to come close to it. And it's a respectable opinion. Okay. And you <coughs> find a lot of people do follow that. And you find a second opinion where they've allowed it under certain conditions. So you find they'll tell you, and again, the, they both differ as to how much haram can you have in, let's say, a stock, for example. Is it one-third, a thuluthu wa thuluthu kathir, mm. anything less than that, if, they, if it's involved in uh, that investment, they'll tell you as long as the company, the, they say the nashat of the company, what they're doing is not haram. So let's say you've got a construction company, for yes. example, or you've got a, a manufacturing company. What they're doing may not necessarily be haram. However, when it comes to the loans and when it comes to the interest that they're giving and, 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 they'll say here that haram you can take out that portion as long as it's not majority of uh, the value of that stock. Mm -hmm. And that's an opinion that most people do follow in the world just because it's practical. To take it out and do what to with it? Take it out and give it to a good cause. Okay. I mean, it's, it's like if you've got money in the bank and they're giving you interest. On that money, let's say five, ten percent, take that money out and you put it in any good cause that uh, you know will be of benefit. Because at the end of the day, it's wealth, mm -hmm. uh, and it's not befitting for a believer to take that wealth and destroy the wealth. Or if you leave it, there's other people who are going to use it. So you might as well put it in a good cause. And as I mentioned, there's different opinions in fiqh. Whoever you follow, you know, we respect that opinion. But if somebody has a different opinion, you've got to respect them also. Correct. Alhamdulillah. Come, uh, a hadith comes to mind. That a strong believer is more beneficial than a weak believer, and both of them have goodness in them. When it comes to a strong believer, Shaykh Adnan, how do you understand that? How, what makes you a strong believer other than the Iman side? We all understand yes. connecting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, getting your salat right, fearing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But is there a worldly aspect attached to that strength? I definitely believe so. I mean, okay. if you ponder over some of the verses in the Quran, uh, just look at the verses of Wahi. Allah tells Yahya alayhi salam, Ya Yahya, khudil kitaba bi uh -huh. Take the book of Allah, 
with strength addressing our messenger sallallahu he says ya ayyuhar rasulu ballighh ma unzila ilayka min rabbik oh messenger convey what allah revealed to you telling uh, musa alayhi salam he tells him fakhudha biquwah take this revelation we've given you with strength that strength requires you to have confidence to know that you've got something good to give mm. so i personally believe uh, that Al-mu'minul qawiyyu khayr wa ahab ilallah min al-mu'min al-da'if. Yes, as you mentioned, the iman aspect, but a believer has got to be confident. You've got something good to to benefit, to give others, uh, you know, go for it. And at the end of the day, the people who are around you, you know, sometimes people, they feel that, no, somebody might judge me. Uh, I might get a hate comment online, or my friends might laugh at me. I might make a fool out of myself. These are all, at times, thoughts from the devil because he doesn't want you to benefit the broader public. Uh, that's why the young Sahaba عنهم, the Messenger وسلم, empowered them whilst they were still young. Abdullah ibn Umar, Abdullah ibn Abbas, we all know the story of إِذَا جَاءَ نَصْرُ اللَّهِ وَالْفَتْحُ Umar the senior Sahaba, he asked the youngster about the meaning and he knew the meaning. But more important is the youngster amongst the elders was speaking and giving his opinion. Uh, you know what's interesting? After Fath Makkah, conquest of Makkah, mm. the Messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam put a Sahabi in charge. He was Attab ibn Usaid radiyallahu anhu. Some say he was only 18 years old, 19 years old. 18, yeah. So he empowered the youngsters. Mm. So this strength in al-mu'min al-qawi khair. When we're talking about the strength, yes, the iman. But a Muslim should be confident, should be proud of their identity. And should be proud of the religion. It's a complete religion, as we mentioned. It's not only about salah and zakah, as important as they are. It's a whole lifestyle. Mm. Even when it comes to health and well-being. I mean, the ayah, وَكُلُوا وَشْرَبُوا وَلَا تُسْرِفُوا Eat and drink and, you know, don't exceed the limits. Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, tells you that uh, that's half of medicine, if not the whole of medicine. What do they preach today? You are what you eat. You mm -hmm. know, people tell you that I'm on this diet or that diet. If you followed whichever diet, but you weren't extravagant and you were eating that which was tayyib, pure, that mm -hmm. Allah told you, you fall into the category. Islam taught you that uh, a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Sahaba amongst themselves, you know, they used to ride horses, they used to race with one another. They were strong mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. So you encourage, so we're talking about encouraging uh, young Muslims to build also worldly skills such as self-defense, riding horses, um, knowing how to invest in business and, and knowing how to manage your wealth and investing in knowledge and several other skills. All of this is fine, isn't it? And it's good. As long as it's permissible, Some anything that's, that's good, mm. learn it. Mashallah. Anything that you, Because at the end of the day, Everybody is different. Everybody likes different things. Everybody is attracted to different things. Your job as somebody who's a Muslim is you are a da'iyah to Allah. You're calling to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Some it's with their tongues in a masjid setting. Others it's through their books. Others it's with the people you interact with. Oh, how many times do you hear a person say that this person is very disciplined? It could be in the gym. It could be elsewhere. Why? Because they're Muslim. They pray five times a day. I mean, I heard one of the most famous YouTubers uh, a while back, he was speaking about one of the Muslim brothers in his crew and he says just the, the commitment and the discipline that he has is something else. I, then he says, I think there's something there. This guy has got, I think, 200 million subscribers. Mm -hmm. Well, the youngsters will know exactly who I'm talking about. But my point is, look at how uh, 
he's calling to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with his actions. People are saying he's committed. He's, what he's doing is inspiring. That's how a, a believer is, is like rain. Everybody benefits from Inshallah. Beautiful, like rain. Sometimes when hadith says like a bee as well, lands on the flower, takes from its benefit, gives, from, gives good from it, but doesn't ruin the flower or contaminate it. So that's a beautiful example you gave, Sheikh. And last, uh, last advice or question. We live in a world of materialism. And everybody wants to be rich, everybody wants to drive a nice car, everybody wants to enjoy themselves. Sometimes I tell my students to inspire them to continue their education. I say, look, from an Islamic perspective, this is what Allah will look at and everything. But sometimes some of them don't see that as much of a drive. They say, oh, I can get that from other places. So then I say, well, don't you want to drive a nice car one day? Don't you want to have your own income and not need anybody else and have a nice wife where you can, or a husband where you can, you know, enjoy your life with? Uh, so... Ego sometimes comes into the picture. Wealth can take you away from knowing yourself and uh, making you arrogant. Can you give us little pointers or advice to the young people about how they should look at wealth and materialism, even especially if they start making a lot of wealth? You, know, you, you mentioned a very important point, and it's repeated throughout the Quran. Allah tells you that your wealth, your children, your material, it's all a fitna and it's a trial. But a believer looks at wealth as a means of doing good. So you find those who look at wealth as the end goal. Ah. So you find somebody wants to make a million, 10 million. Okay, after that, what's next? After that, what's next? You find they live a very empty life. But somebody who looks as well, at wealth as a means of doing good, empowering others, helping their community, they themselves being respected in community, you find that person, even in love with the correct intention, his pursuit for wealth uh, is rewarded and uh, he lives a better lifestyle and even Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is happy with him. So interestingly, at the end of Surah Al-Muzammil, Allah Jalla wa Ala says, Speaking about Qiyamul Layl, there's a group who are unable to perform Qiyamul Layl for so long, etc. Because they've gone out looking for halal wealth. Uh, great Mufassir Al-Qurtubi Rahimahullah he speaks about how rewarding it is for a Muslim business person to go out to other lands and bring products which will benefit the Muslim mm. community Allah praise those people mm. so uh, as a Muslim don't look at it from a very uh, narrow and shallow perspective we you know what my money is only so I can drive a good car and, uh, you know, everybody will look at me as a top guy in society. No, you use that wealth to do good and to attain Jannah as uh, the Sahaba radiallahu anhum did, as many of the great uh, ulama who came before, they used their wealth uh, to serve the deen and in a way which pleases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that, that is the difference. And is, is it okay for me to drive a nice car or...? Uh, as long as that nice car is not in your heart, so ah. you're not affected with it. Not hundred percent. I mean... Uh, and what's also important to mention, somebody might say that, oh, you guys are, uh, you've become too material in the da'wah, etc. Mm. That's not, uh, that wouldn't be a correct observation because you find Sahaba radiallahu anhum amongst themselves, uh, they were those who were wealthy, but they chose zuhd. They chose it. It was a choice. And when they chose that zuhd, they were not a burden on everybody else. So you find some people want to choose zuhd, but they don't want to work. Mm. Everybody else must feed me, clothe me, uh, look out for my kids and fees. That's wrong. They didn't do that. Wrong, yeah. And those who may have dressed 
well or road, you know, the best. They enjoyed the, the blessings Allah gave them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did most definitely give them and we, we could say that they used it in a way which they weren't attached to it. It mm. wasn't, you know, it was there, it was available, halal, alhamdulillah. SubhanAllah, that's the key. Tabarakallah. Shaykh Adnan, it was a pleasure sitting with you, Wallahi al-Azim. And in these just few days, I've grown to love you. And there's not many people that a person grows to love from heart to heart. Uh, because for me, a scholar and a sheikh is somebody who is able to live what they say and live what they believe. So if you speak the truth, the alim is somebody who lives that truth, not just talks, but also lives it, mashallah. And we see iman in a person, nahsabukum, and I ask Allah subhanahu to make you what we see on the outside, alhamdulillah, we can see it, to make you and I and everyone else who fears Allah to be on that path. Uh, finally, uh, you were here with your uncle, Mufti Menk, and subhanAllah, you look like him a lot. You got the beautiful soft skin, tabarakallah, <laughs> Allahu Akbar, mashallah. Uh, you interact with Mufti Menk a lot, do you? Because you probably travel a lot together, don't you now? Uh, well, uh, now he travels a lot, but every time he comes home, he always, you know, messages say, I'm home, etc. We go sit with him. We, when we were young, before the internet, that's where we spend the most time with him. And I remember he always had that concern for the da'wah. From a long time ago, he would be the guy who would drive five hours to give a lecture and drive five hours back. Just There was no internet, no cameras, nothing. And uh, I think, you know, being with him, obviously, from, uh, let's say, behind the scenes, you learn a lot about, uh, you know, how, how he is. And everybody has uh, their weaknesses, you know, uh, myself, uh, everybody else. But at the same time, you benefit from the good points they have. And, uh, yeah, alhamdulillah, we're lucky to have you, Sheikh. Uh, first oh, time meeting you. Love you and love all of us and yeah. you know gather us all in the highest parts of Jannah. It was a pleasure having met you. Benefiting from you. You know, sometimes just by observing people you benefit from them. Mm. With without any speech, without any questions, just observe and you look and you say, MashaAllah, this person has hudu in them, the way they mm. carry out themselves, the way they interact with others so Jazakumullahu khairan We always say may Allah make us better than what people assume of us and to forgive us from the things they don't know about us and not to hold us accountable for the praises we receive we always have to humble ourselves but I just feel a bit greedy to ask you this question because we all love you know Mufti Mank and we love you and we always ask a lot of these questions so uh, growing up with Mufti Mank just the last thing so you said he was involved in your lives it seems like you were all sort of kids looking up to him and he was always around uh, so it looks like he's played a big role in your lives yeah a, a very big role yeah. in, in, in my life uh, our family's lives the whole the whole family and the whole community yeah. and mashallah right now a lot of people in the world and uh, you know when as a young person growing up when when he came onto the scene in masajid etc and mm -hmm. the da'wah scene to be precise you found that he came with something different. He came with something new. He was somebody who the youth related to. Uh -huh. And he spoke in their language, uh, on their topics. Where you find with others who, uh, at the time, we may have listened to, 
you always found there was a, a disconnect. You could never ever relate. These people are on this pedestal and uh, we are here. And you found what he did, Wallah alhamd, is uh, that barrier pedestal was no longer there. Also him, not only in front of others, but uh, behind the scenes more so. He helped so many people that we don't know about. And for us, I remember a specific time in Mecca, you know, I was still a student at the university, and you find we were in one of the hotels, it took us to eat. Everybody wants to meet Mufti Menk. And we sat in one of the corners there. And he's telling us, guys, eat. I brought a lot of food, come. And he's making us the shawirmas, giving us to eat. Everyone wants to meet him and he's there serving Beautiful. his family. And there's so many other examples. And you know, if I'd like to add a point is, sometimes people see uh, others or what we could term as acceptance uh, amongst the people. Huh. And uh, obviously acceptance in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I'm not saying fame or more followers means acceptance, but I'm saying that a lot of times people look up to a certain individual. And from what I've seen anyway f from him as well as others, they've got uh, a lot of good that they do behind the scenes that others don't know about. Yeah. Others have no idea about. People think it's only how much you memorized or your way of speaking or your way of telling the story. True. That's not true. Acceptance is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He yeah. elevates whomsoever he wishes. And sometimes your acceptance may not be that one million and ten million people follow you. It may be one person who follows you or no nobody who follows you. Absolutely yeah. zero. But uh, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, did you do uh, what you were supposed to do? Yeah, and uh, if that's the case, uh, inshallah, That's what we're afraid. always afraid of, ya Shaykh, Wallahi, that on the day of judgment we find all our work go like dust in the wind because our intentions weren't right or we got too attached to the social media views and the clout and how many people love us, subhanAllah, can really get to our heads, la ilaha illallah, if we're not very careful. So we always have to monitor ourselves as if on the edge of a cliff, subhanAllah, until our death. And the shaitan's always there at us. Not, many people don't understand how hard it is to be in the limelight. How, you know, and, you know, everyone's looking at you, you know, very, very intricately and very, very carefully. That they're, they're judging every little thing about you. And at the end of the day, you've got to remember that it is Allah, subhanAllah, that you have to please, subhanahu wa ta'ala. I can see that you're going on the same mindset and line as, as uh, you know, when we talked about being open-minded and understanding the people that you're talking to. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless Amen. your journey, O Sheikh Adnan. Amen. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you, place it Amen. in the scale of your good deeds and keep you guided on the right path Amen. and avoid the haram and the Amen. innovations and everything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is displeased with. May Allah bless you and your family, Ameen. ya akhi. It was certainly a pleasure. Jazakumullahu khayran wa wafakakallah. Ameen wa iyaakum shaykhna. Jazakallah khayran. It was a pleasure, you know, meeting you and having sat with you. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gather us all in the highest part of Jannah altogether. Ameen ya rabbal alameen. Jazakallah khayr fayru da'a. Hatha wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Shaykh Adnan, what do you do for a living?